0: You're listening to the Long's Chapel Weekly Message Podcast, available Sundays at 5 o'clock p.m. If you would like to connect to Long's Chapel or keep up with all events happening at Long's Chapel Church, connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, or on our church website, longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ, because all people matter to God. This week's message comes from our Executive Pastor for Ministries, Rev. Tom Owens. My name is Tom, I'm one of the pastors here in the life of Long's Chapel, and I'm so glad you're with us this morning. Uh, We celebrate the fact uh, that we're a little light up on the stage this morning, and there's a lot to celebrate in that. Uh, Two of our pastors, Pastor Ray, Pastor Chris, are with our youth at a mission trip in D.C., being the hands and feet of Christ. And so we're so glad that the leaders of our church can embody that type of call, to be Christ in the world, to witness to those who need to hear the good news, even if they have to use words. (laughs) But they're using their hands and feet, and they're letting the love of Christ pour out through them, through our youth, and into uh, the community of DC, the District of Columbia. And so we celebrate them, our prayers are with them, uh, and we hold them as they, as they do that very, very important work. Uh, friends, as we prepare for our message today, we've been exploring the sermon series called Tennis Lessons. Uh, and I, I know our lead pastor, Chris, uh, has great knowledge of the Bible and great knowledge of tennis. I've been in the park before and I've said, I think I recognize that guy. Uh, and there he is hitting a tennis ball back and forth. But uh, we've learned a lot from this sermon series. And uh, today we're gonna talk a little bit about victory. And victory in the biblical sense, the scriptural sense and in life, can look a little bit different than the victory that we witness on the tennis court or on the ball field. And so we're gonna reflect on that a little bit. And we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to move Uh, By way of announcements, friends, I hope that you're holding on to your bulletin. There's a lot of great information in there. Um, There's also a Connect card. If you have a prayer request, that's the perfect place to put your prayer request so that the pastors and prayer staff can hold you in prayer this week and be with you spiritually um, and in an emergency, possibly even be with you physically to pray with you and to be there for you. Also, if you're interested in the missions and ministry of Long's Chapel, please put your email address down so that you can get our weekly emails. And if there is a particular interest, or if you'd just like to say, I'd like to know more about this church, uh, please leave your name and number and indicate that so that uh, someone can be in touch with you this week to share with you more about how to plug into this wonderful faith community. Uh, Now friends, as we prepare to hear the word, will you join me in prayer? O loving God, we thank you so much for this opportunity and this call to gather as the body of Christ. God, each and every one of us, we're coming from different places in our lives. Uh, Sometimes we feel like that we can claim victory over uh, a certain situation or a certain challenge, uh, and often, God, we feel like we can't. Uh, Sometimes, God, we feel defeated by the challenges of this world and the challenges of our lives. And God, that's where we ask that you invite us in. Invite us into your presence. Remind us of what victory looks like as a disciple. And minister, God, to our hearts uh, in individual, but also God, in collective ways. Remind us that as children of God, we are indeed a spiritual family called as sisters and brothers in Christ to be the body of Christ to the world and to love on a world that is broken and hurting. God, may the Spirit move and minister to our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, I don't know if I can follow that worship service. Uh, cowboy even shouted out an amen, so that's high praise. <laughs> Friends, as we prepare to talk a little bit about what victory looks like in Christ and in relation to God, we turn to uh, the book of Hebrews, um, and we turn to these words that are meant to be encouraging to a community uh, that is a little bit distraught, maybe feeling a little bit Defeated. And so we turn to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Listen for the word of the Lord. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another in love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This, friends, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be to God. Uh, well, friends, as we talk about victory and uh, I gathered with Chris and I was like, man, I've seen a couple of tennis matches, but you're going to have to you're gonna to have to connect our scripture with what you're thinking when it comes to tennis lessons. And I've recognized this in tennis before, but there's this idea of playing an advantage. And that's with each set, as you're seeking a point, um, a player, depending on how they're performing against their opponent, will have an advantage. Meaning that if they are able to you know, outdo their opponent with this next volley of the ball back and forth, uh, then they'll get that point. Uh, But if they can't, then they'll kind of go back to love all, which is kind of like a tie for that particular uh, match set. And I know if you watch tennis, you're probably sitting there shaking your head like this guy has no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) Uh, But the idea is, what does it look like to play with an advantage? With an assurance? uh, With a little bit of spiritual aggression when it means claiming victory over your life. And a lot of that has to do with where you stand where you stand in relationship to the challenges in your life and where you stand in relationship to others, where you stand in relationship to God. There was a man in my hometown growing up who I knew, uh, he was an old farmer. He would do odd jobs around the community. He lived uh, on this other man's farm in one of the little houses. And uh, he depended much on the generosity of the town. Uh, He didn't have family. He didn't have a lot of skills other than his life of manual labor, which he wore like a badge. You could see it in his face. You could see it in the wrinkles. You could see it in the tan leathered skin that he carried around. And he would come into the convenience mart that I worked at when I was 16 years old. And the first time I met him, he walked up to the counter, and he said something that I came to know as very familiar. He looked at me, and he said, where do I stand with y'all? Now, I had no idea what he was talking about. He came in from time to time, and he would buy half a pound of sliced bologna, some white bread, pack of nabs, maybe a juice. He really liked the fruit juices that we had in the coolers, and it would add up to six or seven dollars. Uh, probably be a lot more now. But he said, well, no, where do I stand with y'all? And I kind of looked at him puzzlingly, and, I also learned at this convenience mart that these old country stores, well, they would have tabs that community members would run, and that's what he meant. Where do I stand, where am I at with my tab? And the owner would let him run about a $30 tab, and he knew that you know, after a week of weed eating and other manual labor that this old man would do around the community, that he would come in with a check, uh, this individual would mark X's on the signature, uh, because he, he couldn't read and write. Uh, but I called up to the, to the store owner and his tab was about $25 and I rang him up at around seven or eight. And I said, well, he, he's going a little bit over 30. The store manager said, oh, I know he's good for it. Go, let, go ahead and let him get his bologna and his white bread, his pack of nabs and a bottle of juice. Uh, but you know, every time he would come up, and say, where do I stand? And as that happened over and over again, I noticed sometimes he, he'd be a bit nervous. You know, He'd be looking at the things that he had and wondering where he stood when it came to the tab, wondering if he could afford all the things that he had put down on the counter. And that lesson continued to teach me throughout life that so much of how we feel and so much of how we consider ourselves as we carry ourselves through this life and through the world is where we stand. It's where we stand with others, where we stand in our walk with God, where we stand in relationship to our jobs, our relationships, our children. So much about life seems to be defined in how we stand with the things that we come into contact with. And where we stand in relationship is important. It's very important. I I know that whether it's a close friend or a spouse, uh, sometimes you may not know where you stand with someone, you might have done something that upset them, and then you, you come up to them casually and ask them a question and they just give you this glare. And you're like, what, what? What do you mean you don't know why, why I'm mad? <laughs> There's even a face sometimes that my dog gives me if I'm like cleaning up food scraps, and he's like wanting me to throw him one, and he's wondering where he stands with me. Am I, am I loving him enough to throw him a food scrap? <laughs> When a relationship is strained, it's as if there becomes a distance between the two parties. It's as if where you stand with that individual is a little bit further than you'd like it to be. And this is much how the early Israelites understood their relationship with God. If there was sin to be found in their community, then the distance between them and God just seemed to grow a little bit and the community would suffer. And they went through great lengths to gain God's blessing and to draw near so that God would draw near to them and that the community would be blessed. I invite you, if you're looking for a Bible study, read through the prophets, the major prophets and the minor. Um, You'll see that so much of what the prophets are telling the community has to do with how they stand with God. And if they don't stand in a good place with God, then how to rectify that, Uh, be it through sacrifice, be it through living into the community that God had envisioned them to be. And if you read Hebrews 9, the chapter that precedes the one that our scripture was from, you see that in the first covenant, there were regulations for worship. There was an earthly sanctuary. There was this massive tent, that would be constructed with uh, two tiers of holiness. In that first space, the the priests would go in and they would do their ritual duties. Uh, Throughout the year, they may go in weekly, daily, monthly. There's a whole list of complicated sacrifices and duties that they would go into simply to maintain their status with God and the presence of God. But once a year, that space behind the curtain the Holy of Holies would be entered into by the high priest. It was behind a veil, I can imagine, the priests working in that outer space and looking at the veil, perhaps with a little bit of fear and trembling, and whichever one of them was the highest priest would be the one elected to go in once a year, and always, regardless of how perfect the sacrifice, the high priest would only enter into that space with fear, and trembling. Chapter 9, verse 6 reads, Only the high priest goes into the second, and he but once a year, and not without taking the blood that he offers for himself and for the sins committed unintentionally by the people. There was this care. There was this intention in entering into the holy of holies because of how awesome the presence of God was. And there was this idea that if the people didn't stand in good relationship with God, if that priest didn't stand in perfect sacrificial relationship with God, then he would be struck dead simply by entering into that space. When I was a child, probably about 10 or 11, I loved family reunions because I got to see my cousins. My cousins were my friends. And during the summer especially, the family reunion was a perfect place to talk uh, cousins' parents and my parents into letting us have a sleepover for the night. And one thing that we loved to do was stay up late and, and play video games. And so, at this particular family reunion, we mission accomplished, you know. My cousin got to come home with me and I had this new two-player video game where you could play together and you could, you know, go through the game together. You didn't have to sit and watch the other person play. And it was on the old Nintendo Entertainment System. And we sat down and we put in this cartridge and I realized we only had one controller. And then I remembered that that controller that I got for my birthday was still in my parents' room in a box. My parents were asleep. And so we saw that door like the veil to the Holy of Holies and... (laughs) Since it was my house and my parents, I was inaugurated as the high cousin, the high priest who had to enter in to the Holy of Holies, and I tell you, friends, I entered in with fear and trembling, (laughs) especially because my dad had to work early the next morning, but it was that relationship which allowed for that privilege, and it was with fear and trembling. Now, why did I do it? Because, well, that gift that was in there would be life-changing. We would be able to stay up all night and play a two-player game together. We had never done that before. It's life-changing. And so with fear and trembling, I entered into my parents' bedroom and reminded now, as I study the scriptures, that it's because the presence of God to the Israelites was nothing less than life-changing, a game-changer for the community that the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year and offer sacrifices and ask that the covenant be renewed with God so that the community could be blessed. Now, when Jesus came, a lot changed. Uh, Jesus breathed new life into the law, fulfilled the law. And Jesus spoke in a bit more spiritual and personal sense when Jesus articulated the law of Moses. And so the law became real for us in a very individual sense, uh, in a very personal sense for those who followed Christ. And the old covenant was fulfilled and we would be ushered into a new time, a new covenant with the living God. And so I'll I'll revisit this scripture again as it reads, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is his flesh. We have a great priest over the house of God. And we are invited to enter into that life-changing presence with confidence. This spring, a group of individuals gathered. I see a a couple in the congregation who who studied the Alpha uh, Bible study videos. And we would sit around and talk about uh, the, these themes in the, in the story. And one was about the love of God. And there was a story of a, a teenager who fell into this vicious cycle of self-hate and aggression toward his parents and other authority figures. And he didn't really know how it started. He didn't know why he did it. But once he did that first thing that he felt pushed himself away from the love of his parents, he just continued down that path. Uh, and so he would, he would cheat on exams even though he didn't have to. He would steal things even though he didn't have to. You know, he wasn't malicious toward anyone. He just did bad things because he told himself that's who he was. And one day he figured out how to take his parents' credit cards and he stole a bunch of money from their bank account. And his parents found out about it and when they confronted him he ran up to his room and barricaded himself in his room. He pushed his bed and his dresser against the door, and he sat in the corner just thinking to himself, I'm, I'm trash. I'm rubbish. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve anything. I'm a terrible person. And he says that his dad knocked on the door and said, son, we don't, we don't know why you did this, but we love you. And if you'd come out, we just want to give you a hug right now. We don't want to lecture you. We don't want to even talk about it. We just want to give you a hug. And he said from that moment on, his life changed. He knew that there was a love that could never be severed. He knew that where he stood with his parents was always in a loving relationship, which meant he could start loving himself, which meant that his life could be transformed. And he talked about how the love of God The love of Papa, our father, is exactly the same. And when we realize that, our view of ourselves change, and then our life begins to change. I take for granted that my own children perhaps wonder the same thing about where they stand with me. There'll be times when I'm at home and I might be busy with the the youngest one, and I hear a crash in the other room, and I know it can only be the (laughs) four-year-old. And I'll come around the corner and he'll be standing there and he may be trying to hide something, but he's looking at me with these wondering eyes, wondering how angry am I? Where does he stand with me? It's in those moments where I need to take a breath, kneel down on one knee and look at him in the eyes and say, I love you. It's okay. Where you stand with me isn't any different than it was a minute ago. I'll help you clean this up. Friends, we have been assured through the scripture, through the life of Christ, that nothing could ever stand between us and the love of God. And the only thing, the one thing that can keep us from basking in God's presence and experiencing that transforming grace is our own hesitance to enter in. In fact, the confidence, the boldness, the assurance of where we stand with God, friends, has already been settled we only have to realize that it's within us to enter into God's presence, that holy of holies, without fear and trembling, but with boldness and assurance, because Christ is within us. The sacrifice has been made. The high priest is the eternal Christ. And that sacrifice is timeless. It's not as if it happened thousands of years ago, which it did. But in the kingdom of God, it's as if Christ lived, died, defeated death and came back to life for us in this very moment so that we can enter in to God's presence and draw near in a way that was never possible in the old covenant. In this letter to discourage Christians, one might wonder, well, with all this truth, then why is there a problem? Why is the community distressed? Why are these words even necessary for this community? Because there was a real problem in the community that the scripture was written to. These people, they had lost their intimate relationship with Jesus and nothing else in their life seemed to be going right. Now they surely struggled with much in their lives, persecution, difficult relationships, hard times, but the one true solution had to be written out word for word for them, convincingly in this letter. Three words, just enter in. Now this wasn't prosperity gospel. This wasn't go to the synagogue and go through the motions and you'll have a new car and a new house within a couple of weeks. That's just a lie from the world and it's bad theology. But no, what we're invited to do is to look even beyond those simple things that we think are the blessings that we are seeking. Something special happens when we dwell in God's presence and our eyes are open to the eternal blessings that go beyond earthly treasures, the joy, the forgiveness, the healing that only God's presence can bring into our lives. God was speaking to me even this morning as I meditated upon this scripture on the way in. Uh, Many a morning, uh, something drastic will happen and my wife and I need to think of a solution right on the spot and this morning, it was where our kids are gonna go. (laughs) We're both pastors. She had nursery workers call out. It was her plan to take the kids that morning since I was preaching and would be in third service and uh, they would need a place to go other than running around in the sanctuary. Uh, and so, on my way in, I'm running late, I'm driving on 40, I've got my one, we decided to divide and conquer, I had my one-year-old in the back, the four-year-old was with mom. And my mind was going a million miles a minute, gosh, life is so challenging, what am I going to do, how are we going to find a solution to this problem? And I heard God saying, admire my creation. What? God, it's been a crazy morning. I'm running late. I want to check in with Mark. I want to be able to get here and get settled, print out my notes so that I can preach. What do you mean? Look at my, just look at my creation. God, my mind is running a million miles a minute. I don't know what I'm going to do. Settle down, take a breath, and admire my creation. I'll tell you, it was one of the most peaceful drives I've had in a while. (laughs) It's not necessarily that God transforms the physical reality of our life always. Sometimes God will intervene in amazing supernatural ways we can't explain, but often God is saying just enter in, take on the mind of Christ, admire the beauty and amazement around you and the fact that you're a part of it. Uh, Abraham Heschel was a early 20th century Jewish philosopher. He wrote, our goal should be to live life in radical amazement. Get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. The Saturday I'm gonna be traveling to Virginia to preside over a funeral for uh, someone who would have been 20 on Saturday. Um, It was a friend that I grew up with, his younger sister, so someone that I knew as an infant uh, who lived a beautiful life and unfortunately was taken from us way, way too soon. Uh, As I was talking to my my best friend, her, her brother, he was saying that he was going through her journal and reading her entries and the poems that she was jotting down that she, uh, that she loved. And he said, you know, she found the meaning of life because she was facing death. She found the meaning of life that I hadn't found at this point in mine. She realized that time with family, time and amazement, Creation and time spent in the joy that we are alive is the purpose of life. It's what God is asking us to do with grateful hearts. Today in the world, there is a real problem, but we don't have to face our own mortality to find the purpose of life. Just like the community in Hebrews, we often let the pain of this life keep us from having an intimate relationship with Jesus and thus living in the presence of God. I know I do it, like I almost did this morning on the way here. I was stressed. I didn't know what to do. I was missing out on the presence of God, which was right there. We can put to death the notion of earthly vanities that harden our hearts and souls sometimes to the presence of God right in front of us. Even right now, friends, no matter what you're going through, whatever challenges are on your life, however tired you are, however much coffee you had to drink this morning to get up and get here, even now we are invited to enter into the presence of God, to the Holy of Holies, in that life-transforming power. Now, finally, friends, this is a very personal message of victory. It's a very personal message of where we stand with God. We have the advantage. The sacrifice has been made. The high priest presides over our lives and our community. We are invited to enter in. But as we continue to read this scripture, not only for ourselves, but for our sisters and brothers, indeed, for the world itself. In light of what Jesus did, friends, we are invited in this scripture. As it says, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This community, in their challenges and in the pain that they experienced, had neglected gathering together in community. They had let earthly challenges, earthly pain, earthly brokenness and disagreements get in the way of coming together as the body of Christ. For the Hebrews, they were avoiding community at the very time that they needed it most. Because yes, in the presence of God, we're invited to pray individually. Sometimes Jesus says, go into your closet and pray and seek the presence of God. But that's not the only place we're called to find God's presence. We're called to find it right here in community and in loving Christian relationship with one another. In fact, not only are we called to gather with one another for our own joy and our own uplifting, but we're called to provoke one another to good deeds, to encourage one another. As we look in the scripture and as we look into this word provoke, we see that the original meaning was a very strong word, which meant incite, which means friends, when we gather here, we're meant to incite one another, to getting into a little bit of good trouble, incite one another, to live a life in a way that the world looks at us and says, look what those Christians are doing again. They're out feeding the hungry. They're out gathering together Loving one another, encouraging one another, healing the brokenness in our world. What must they be thinking? (laughs) When we gather together, friends, that should be the result. This past Wednesday, a large part of us gathered to have what we uh, were seeking and hoping would be called holy conversations. And there's a lot to be taken from that. uh, But here's one thing that I took from it as I sat at my table and a group of people talked about a a difficult topic. Eight people came in from a world that had taught them how to be polarized, to be separate, to neglect coming together. And they came into a space willing to lean in to what it means to speak to one another respectfully, to discuss things in a spiritual way that holds them together as sisters and brothers, and to not neglect their unity as sisters and brothers in Christ, but to embrace one another in Christian community. It's so important that Christians gather together, and things in this world work against our gatherings as it works against, worked against the gatherings of the Hebrews. But as we see the day approaching, which means as we look out upon the world and we see the brokenness, as we see the things in scripture that says that the day is approaching, each generation in history can look out and say, well, the rapture must be right around the corner, amen? Each and every single generation, not excluding our own. So as we look out and we see the world, we can see that the day is approaching. So even more should we be inciting one another to good works. To feeding the hungry, to healing the brokenness of the world, to the audacity of the world, we should be inciting one another. In chapter 11, if you continue to read through Hebrews, you see all the fruits of the faith of the the Hebrew heroes. By faith, God brought liberation to slaves By faith, a prostitute did not perish. By faith, an infant was hid from a murderous Pharaoh. And all of this before the wellsprings of God's grace broke open as it has through the sacrifice and resurrection of Christ. Friends, when we ask ourselves, where do we stand with God? We're given boldness and assurance and an invitation to enter into the Holy of Holies. But that challenging relationship in my life, friends, by faith, we are called to enter in. But I'm so tired, friends, by faith, we are called to enter in. I haven't talked with God in so long. Friends, by faith, we are called to enter in. Whatever it is that you need, that we need of God's presence today, be it hope, joy, the healing of a relationship or freedom from spiritual chains, whatever it is, let us enter in with boldness. Will you pray with me? O loving God, As we gather, we understand that the cornerstone of our faith is built around Emmanuel, the birth of God with us in Christ, the life that Christ led, the fulfillment of the law, the sacrifice that Jesus made, the resurrection, and his status as our high priest. Whatever it is behind that veil that we're hesitant to enter into because of the fear and the trembling that's fallen upon our hearts and souls. God, give us boldness and assurance to know that we are called to enter in, that God's love burns for us as brightly as it ever did, and that by faith we are called to enter in, to experience that life-changing presence. It is in the name of Christ, our high priest, who made this possible, we pray. Thanks for joining the Long's Chapel Message Podcast. If you connected in any way with us via this podcast, we invite you to connect further by either leaving a rating and review down below or contacting us via our church website at longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ because all people matter to God. See you next week.